Good morning. Um, thank you, Elder JC, for the, the warm welcome. Um, I am Jermaine, associate pastor here, here um, and I'm excited to share the word with you this morning. Uh, I, I, I'm not a guest speaker, um, so, but I am going to act like one just a little bit because I think I'd be remiss as I stand here um, with the weight of this pulpit. I, I recognize uh, that we have a really, really good pastor. And um, I just wanted to take a moment and just, and just give some honor where honor is due to our pastor, Pastor Eddie, my, my good friend, my brother, my pastor here. So thank you for everything that you do um, and for leading us so well. All right, so now that my sucking up is over with here, um, we're going we're gonna to move into this sermon this morning. Um, I'm, I'm excited because we're continuing our series this morning on, on worship. And so Pastor Eddie has given me a, a really familiar passage to speak on today, and I'm excited because when he told me, I was like, yo, that's my jam, man. That's, my, that's my, my, my passage that I want to preach on. If I could preach on worship, that would be it because I love this passage in Romans that he's given me. It's, a, it's, it's Paul. Romans is one of my favorite books in the Bible, how Paul kind of systematically breaks down our theology and the gospel incredibly and he gives us these 11 chapters of this deep well of the gospel, and then he shifts in the final five chapters into actually how do you live out these truths of the gospel? And so how do we answer that question? How do we walk out these truths? And it begins in the first two verses of chapter 12. How do we live this out? How do we start it? We start by worship. We start with proper worship why we worship, how we worship, and then what happens when we worship the way that God prescribes to us here in this passage. So I'm excited for what God is going to teach us today, and I hope that you all are just as excited as I am. All right, come on. Well, let's, uh, let's stand this morning um, as we read God's word, reverence to the word. This may be the most important thing that we do today, so let's do this together. Uh, starting in verse 1. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. God, help us today to hear from you, not from me. God, speak in a way that transforms our lives. Help us to understand what it means to worship you, to be a living, to be a holy, to be a pleasing sacrifice for you. And I thank you for this moment. Let us not leave today the same as when we came in. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So Paul starts in verse 1, and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. So I'm going to stop there because I, you know, I could preach the whole sermon on just this one portion. But he's talking to brothers and sisters, so he's talking to He's talking to us. He's talking to believers in the church in Rome. 
And he starts with this word, therefore. And so anytime you see a, a therefore in the Bible, it's, it's teaching us something, that the, the therefore is therefore reason, right? We need to find out why the therefore is therefore. And really what is about to be said hinges on what has already been said. So if you've missed what he's already said, you probably won't fully understand where he's leading you to. And so he's talking about these mercies of God. And if you were in the church in Rome and they were, they were reading this out loud and maybe you had fallen asleep in the pew and maybe you were startled awake and you woke up to hear, in view of these mercies of God, worship, and you would have been scratching your head, what are these mercies? What, what are these things that you're saying that are, should lead me to worship? Now, I, I don't have time to read all 11 chapters this morning of these mercies of God, and I think you probably would fall asleep if I were to read them and I couldn't unpack them, but I do want to provide for us a brief overview of these mercies because I think this is really going to help us this morning. What is, what is mercy? This word means basically the compassions of God, right? The, the things that, that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve, that God withholds, that's mercy, the things that he, he gives to us that we don't deserve, that's his grace, his love, his salvation. All these things are mercy that God extends to us. And so one of, our, one of my favorite uh, commentaries that I read is from Warren Wearsby, and he, he talks about that there are four therefores in Romans that helps us understand Romans a little bit. There's the there, therefore in Romans 3. He calls it the therefore of condemnation. There's a therefore in Romans chapter 5. He calls it the therefore of justification. There's a therefore in Romans chapter 8. He calls it the therefore of assurance. And there's a therefore that we're reading today where he calls it the therefore of dedication. And those are the the remaining verses talk about dedicating our lives to God. So I want to briefly kind of run through those so we can understand it. Quick overview of these mercies and hopefully they'll help us. Romans 3 verse 20 says this, therefore... No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Now, this isn't a very exciting verse, but from about verse 16 of chapter 1 to to this verse in chapter 3, Paul is helping us to understand that really no one measures up to the holiness of God. So whether you were born here in a church pew or maybe you were born in a nightclub or maybe you you try your best to be the best or maybe you don't try at all, it really doesn't matter. No one measures up. God sets a, a holy standard, not a human standard. He is righteous and he is just. And that, my friends, is merciful to us. Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I love this passage. We have been saved by grace through faith. We don't have to try to earn our way into heaven. All of our past sins are washed away and they're no longer held against us. Listen, and the hostility that existed between us and God no longer exists anymore. We have peace with God. You can hear this passage. He's talking about salvation and faith and grace and hope and access and peace. These, my friends, are mercies. 
Romans 8, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Man, we, we are no longer held hostage by our sin, destined to never really measure up to the standard that God has set. We have been set free from the bondage of the guilt of our sin and the chains of the shame of our sin. We are free. If I can shout it in my Mel Gibson Braveheart voice, freedom! That's mercy, family, this morning. This is not a therefore, but I just want to read it because it just, it just hits home for me. Romans 8 and 31 says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Verse 35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, family. Can we get excited about this this morning? There's love that gives us Victory over everything, victory over our trials, victory over our sin, victory over the enemy of our souls, victory over death. This is love. We are love. We are overcomers. We are victorious. Come on, that is mercy. The Bible says in Lamentations that mercies are new every day. And so Paul is saying here, I, I urge, I urge you, I'm begging, I'm pleading. I'm, I'm strongly suggesting, I'm, I'm trying to stoke this, this fire inside of you, that there needs to be some type of response to the mercies of God that he's laid out in these 11 chapters. A proper response to any gift that you would receive would be what? All right? A thank you. It's a proper response. But we're not just talking about any gift here this morning. We're not talking about a rose that I would give my wife on Valentine's Day. We're not talking about a gift card that I might give Pastor Eddie for his birthday. We're not talking about just anything that money could buy. Well, we're talking about the gift of salvation, the gift of God, his blood shed for us, poured out for us. And it demands a response from us more than just a thank you, more than just another hallelujah or another I believe. It demands a response. And this response that that Paul is talking about, it demands from us is a sacrifice of worship your life your life he says here in this passage he says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and what does that mean (laughs) your bodies that word bodies really is literally and figuratively everything about you your whole person your whole being to lay that down, to bring that to the altar to God 
your, your mind, your body, your, your heart, your thoughts, your impulses, your affections, your careers, your money, your relationships, your past, your present, your future. That's here is everything I am, God, willingly surrendering it to you. Now, some of you may be asking the question that I asked of the text, but didn't, didn't Jesus offer the ultimate sacrifice, right? Why, 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 why do I need to sacrifice? I mean, didn't he, didn't he do it all? One, wasn't that once and for all? And, and yes, to a certain degree, family, you, you are right, right? Um, but Paul had an understanding of, of the um, Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrificial system, and he knew that most of his, his readers had a decent understanding of this as well. Because there were a couple of different offerings that they used to make in the Old Testament, some that required blood and some that did not require blood. And so the ones that required blood of an animal were to atone for our sins, cover our sins temporarily. And so, yes, to some degree, you are right. The atonement for our sins has been taken care of once and for all on the cross of Jesus Christ. His blood that was shed has covered our sins both now and forever. We don't have to do that anymore, right? That is worthy of a clap right there. Amen. All right. But also in, in, in the Old Testament, you can read this in Leviticus chapter 2, he, they, it, there's a thing called a grain offering or a meal offering. And this, this offering was one where you'd take flour or wheat or, or grain and you would mix it with, with oil and frankincense and you would offer it voluntarily. So voluntary offering. It's an offering of dedication and it's one that you would bring to the altar and thanksgiving to God, and as it would be burnt on the, on the, on the altar, it would release a sweet aroma to God. And that's the, the, the offering that Paul is describing here in this passage. He's describing a voluntary offering. He's describing a living offering, not a dead one. Dead sacrifices are much easier, right, because they can't get off the altar. That's what most commentaries would, would say. Living sacrifices tend to like to crawl off the altar. They are squirmy. They resist. They wrestle with you. But God says, be a, be a living sacrifice. One example of a living sacrifice that we have in Scripture, one really good example, is, is Isaac. When Abraham is, has been asked by God to take his one son, his only son, the promised son, and to take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. And sometimes we read that passage, and we don't really think about how old Isaac was. But Isaac was not a baby. He was not a little boy. He was a grown man. <laughs> and so he had the, 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 I'd say the wherewithal to be able to look around and say, you know, Pops, I, I see that we have everything that we need for a proper sacrifice except for one thing, <laughs> the sacrifice. <laughs> now, listen, I, I may not be the smartest tool in the toolbox, but I wasn't born yesterday, Pops. What, what's going on here? And, and he could have resisted, but we don't get any, any, any uh, picture of him resisting in the passage. We get him asking the question. You can read this in Genesis 22. We get him asking the question, but we don't see him resisting. We see him being bound by his father, on the altar, but we don't see him resisting. He's 
laying down his life willingly as a living sacrifice. Now, the great example we do have of this is, is Jesus and his sacrifice. We, we see that this was not an easy, easy thing to do as he's sweating blood in the garden. But he's saying, not my will, but yours, God. That is a living sacrifice. And that is what he's calling us to do, to be a living sacrifice, to pick up our life, to pick up our cross daily and to offer it to God like, like Isaac. Just, God, here, here I am. This is, this is all I got. This is all, all that I have. I'm laying it on the altar for you. A living sacrifice. So here's my question for you all this morning. What is an area of resistance for you this morning when it comes to living for God? Is there a thing or, or maybe a person that when God begins to ask you to lay it down at the altar, you get a little squirmy? You begin to slide off the altar. You begin to remove the boundaries that God has set in your life. What today needs to have a face-to-face intervention with the mercies of God this morning. Now, Paul doesn't stop here. He doesn't really lay off of us here. He, he goes on to say, hey, this offering should not only be living, but he says that this, this offering should be holy. Holy, set apart, consecrated, set apart for God and for God alone, consecrated and to be used by him and him alone. These, these grain offerings that they would, would offer they could not have any yeast in them. They, the, the yeast was considered the taint, the offering that they were kind of laying at the altar to God. So I'm just going to ask you some questions here again this morning. Number one, is your offering holy? Have you set something or someone else up in direct competition with God? Can you think of any areas in your life where you have allowed it to be tainted? I'll ask that question a different way. Can you think of things in your life that are tainting your offering to God? I'm going to keep going here because I'm, I'm a little convicted on this right now. It says, not only just living and holy, but also pleasing. And I'll submit before you today that I believe Paul here is talking about obedience. Listen closely to the words of Samuel that Samuel says here uh, to Saul after Saul kind of offers a sacrifice, but didn't really closely listen to God's instructions. He says this in 1 Samuel 15 and 22, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Family, make no bones about it here this morning. Uh, Obedience is a sacrifice. (laughs) The sacrifice of obedience is this willingness to submit our will to the will of God and to follow him. Emphasis on willingness, emphasis on submit, and emphasis on follow. (laughs) Those are some hard words. Hear me when I say this as well. So sacrifices aren't necessarily bad things. They may actually be good things. The problem is they may not be God things. Reading the Bible is good. 
but doing what the Bible says is God. Giving away all your money to the needy is a good sacrificial thing, but it may be a more obedient God thing to do to tithe and give to your local church. You got got to see the difference is what I'm saying here this morning. Defending God on social media on a post may be a really great sacrifice, but loving your neighbor may be the God thing to do. That may be the more obedient and pleasing thing to the Lord. That is the obedient, pleasing aroma that God wants from our lives. What does obedience look like for you this morning, family? What does it look like in your relationships? What does it look like in your morality? What does it look like in your finances? A living, a holy, obedient offering of you is your true worship. That's how that that, that verse there ends. That word true means logical, reasonable. Logical, reasonable. It says basically living for God, laying your life down for him in view of the mercies that he has, has so graciously given to us is the most reasonable, logical thing that you can do. It would be illogical not to do it. And it would say that you haven't fully grasped how great his mercies have been in your life. It would be like me giving my, my wife an engagement ring and her saying yes, and then she never again wore the ring. Never committed to a date to get married. Stop preparing for the wedding. Stop preparing herself to be a wife. She didn't do any of those things, right? <laughs> um, but it would be unreasonable. It would be unthinkable, illogical. It would be a slap in the face. And family, all I'm saying this morning is let's not slap God in the face. <laughs> let's not be unreasonable. Let's be reasonable this morning and offer our lives holy and obedient to God. Now, now Paul, Paul doesn't leave us here. He, he's, you know, if we're, we're in this place and we're trying to figure out how do we do this, Paul gives us some help this uh, morning with verse 2 of this passage. And he says, do not be conformed to this age. That's how it starts. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That word pattern means uh, that's where we get our word schematic. It's the plans. So, and you guys would, you be, you, it would be silly for us not to think that the world does not have a plan for us. <laughs> All right? That's why we follow people on social media. It's, that's, you follow someone that's called a what? They are an influencer. And so they have a plan for what your life should look like. They have a plan for how you should dress. They have a plan for your relationships, for how you should walk, for how you should talk, for how you should dress, for how you should participate politically, for how you should, uh, for what you should allow in your home as far as watching on TV and, and things that you should allow. They've, they've even broken us down into generations, generation boomer and X and Y and Z, and they've broken us down into Enneagram numbers and uh, what do you call it? The uh, Myers-Briggs personalities and all these things. And I'm not saying that these things aren't, are, are bad. 
I'm not saying that, but what I'm, what I'm saying is they, they have a plan. They have a plan to put us in a box, to put us in, in the world's idea of what we should be and how we should act and how we should perform. And here Paul here saying is if you want to live a holy, obedient, pleasing, sacrificial life to God, that's the offering that you want to give to God. We have, we have really a, 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 we can aid in this process, right, by not just passively becoming or allowing ourselves to be like everyone else, to fall into the schemes and the plans of our culture. But we can actively renew our mind and be transformed by the power of God. That word transformed here in this, in this verse means metamorphosis. That's where we get our word metamorphosis from. It's the process by which a caterpillar turns into a butterfly or a tadpole turns into a frog. Or according to Disney, a frog turns into a prince, <laughs> if you believe in that sort of thing. That's where something changes from one form of something to something completely different. Right? Think about it. A crawling caterpillar turns into a flying butterfly. A swimming tadpole with no legs turns into a, a frog that jumps. A, a frog in Disney turns into a handsome stud of a man. Family, I'm talking about changing from something that you were to something that's completely unrecognizable from what you used to look like. That type of change is possible from a sinner to a saint. From, from an addict to somebody that's free. Amen. From someone that's a cheater to somebody that's faithful. To someone that's hopeless to someone that's hopeful. Amen. From someone that's walking aimlessly to someone that's walking with purpose. That is change. And that is possible. And it's not just possible. Family, it is a likelihood if we do what? If we renew our minds. Man, I, it's, it's a likelihood. This, this word re- renew here means basically to make new. It's, it's to, to think in new ways. It's to feel differently, that you can respond differently. Like your, your mind can be renewed. I'm, I'm going to say it this way. Make sure that I don't, we, we get this. Scientifically, they say every seven to ten years, most of your body has regenerated new cells and has made itself new. Like your, your, your bones, they shed cells and then they regenerate new cells. And so they do that enough that over 17 years, the old, the old cells are no longer there and all the new cells are new. Your hair, your skin, some of your organs, they do the same thing. There's only really a few areas that don't. One of those is in your mind, in your brain, like your, your thoughts, the part of your brain that controls your thoughts, controls your consciousness, the way that you think, all of your memories, all these things are there. And it's impossible for, for that to be re- renewed naturally. But supernaturally, hear what God is saying this morning, that you can be renewed that your mind can be restored, that your affections can be renewed, 
that you can be changed and transformed from something that you didn't think was even possible. It's not an impossibility, family. If we get into the Bible, we get into God's word, if we get into prayer, if we begin to really, really get into the fellowship of the believers and have our mind be renewed, it says that we can be transformed. And it says this, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. And I'll just quickly say, say this. It says that this basically means, listen here, that your life will prove how good God is. That people will look at your life, they will look at the transformation of your life, they will look at the change that has happened and say, God's plans and God's purposes are better. Family, hear me. God's plans and God's purposes are better. And God can prove that through your life if you will renew your mind and be transformed. Not in your own strength, but in the power, by the power, supernatural power of God. So I'll close, I'll close with this, this statement here. That life-altering worship leads to an altered life. Emphasis on the two words there, altering and altered. But laying our lives on the altar of God, surrendering our lives on the altar of God, living, holy, obedient, leads to transformation, leads to change. Family, do you want to see transformation in your life? Do you want to see change in your marriage? Do you want to see a difference in the relationship with your kids? Do you want to see a difference in your relationships, your friendships, your finances, your attitude, your anxiety, your depression? Family, today, transformation and change is available for us. Our response here is to the mercies of God to come to the altar this morning. Come to the throne of grace and mercy and surrender your life to Jesus. Because he's talking to believers here. If you're an unbeliever today, I would say this is, this is a moment. If you're looking for change, to surrender your life to him. If you're a believer today, I say this is a moment. <laughs> If you're looking for change and transformation to surrender to things that you have not yet surrendered to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you, God, that you, you haven't left us to ourselves. change and transformation is possible for us. So God, I ask you in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help those in this moment that are having or struggling with the, the living out, the living holy and obedient sacrifices. Help us in the areas, God, where we need to lay 
down to you. Help us, God, in areas where we have failed to be obedient to your, to your word. God, help us today. If you are today saying, I, I don't know this Jesus, I don't know this God, but I want this Jesus, I want to know him, please pray this prayer with me. Father, I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. I'm sorry for my life that I've lived apart from you, really pushing you away. But today, God, I, I say I'm sorry. I say I want to live for you. God, I want you in my life. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And I want to see you transform me for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.